Hey, everybody. You've reached the Mayfair Podcast. I'm Eric. Hey, this is Josh. It is Wednesday, July 26, and we'll be chatting about movies that we are screening the week of Friday, July 28th. We got delayed from recording yesterday because we had a private rental in. Two right? weeks straight, even. Two weeks straight. Yeah, so it's like, on the one hand, it's great for business, but on the other hand, it's enraging for us. <laughs> it throws off our podcast pizza afternoon. Yeah, last week got especially weird, you know, so this time pulled it off so that's it's good and then it's also it's i guess technically my birthday week because my birthday's wednesday not today obviously but like next right. wednesday and then movies go till thursday yeah so technically this Your is my birthday, birthday podcast <laughs> yes everybody get him a present yeah and tragically we did not get the cage premiere you no. know but that just means that we're first in line to get the next cage premiere I don't or know. we could get it next week it's possible i just don't want to assume that because i know like lee sometimes he's unpredictable but yeah. sometimes he'll be like no it's been too long we missed the window you know after a week or something and i was like but i don't think it's been too people don't think you think that but people don't think that well and sometimes it's not his fault sometimes they just won't give it to us oh yeah i'm not blaming lee I, you know I, it's just devastating for me on a selfish level yeah um and then and then also you know the people who are premiering it are not playing it on the opening night on the friday or on my birthday on the wednesday which again selfish on my part fools but on your birthday you're allowed to be selfish i think is the rule i don't know how that works well it's funny like on that same train of thought we've been getting so many requests to play barbie immediately you said immediately and i'm just like <laughs> It doesn't work that way, and I don't expect people to not realize it doesn't work that way, but they must have some semblance of a thought that, oh yeah, the Mayfair doesn't get the new multiplex movies on day one. The multiplex gets those. But I've been having to explain a lot about how <laughs> they get it first, and it makes sense because they have hundreds of screens across Canada, so that's where they make money. Mm -hmm. And we might get it in three or four months, but unfortunately, I can't say we will get it because it doesn't work that way. Because by the time it finishes at the multiplex, it might go straight to a streaming service. The powers that be might say, yeah, you can't have it because somebody else wants it. So I think we'll screen Barbie. I know we'll screen Oppenheimer because that's more of a, I mean, it's a multiplex movie, but it's Christopher Nolan, slightly more dramatic, art housey kind of thing. Have people been asking about that too? Yeah, but I think people know we're going to get that just yeah. because we've screened all of his past films. Mm -hmm. Whereas a movie like Barbie, even though it's Greta Gerwig and even though I'm dying to see it, it's just kind of like shrug. We don't know. That's always the cut and paste response. And I get that that can be frustrating, but we really don't know. It might actually time out pretty nicely, though, if we were to get it mid to late September, early October, when the students are back, stuff yeah. like that. Because it's like, normally with something like this, you know, it's like everybody's going to see it right now. Everything's jammed. It's doing super well. But having to wait sometimes helps because, you know, there's going to be a lot of people who either want to see it again or didn't get to see it. or so. kind of doubt there's a huge contingent of people waiting to see it at the Mayfair. <laughs> like, maybe there is, but... The only contingent would be we do have a lot of customers who just don't go to the multiplex mm -hmm. at all. So when we get a movie like that, they might go, oh, I heard that's really good. I'll yeah. go see it at the Mayfair. But they don't have any ambitions to drive out to suburbia or to go to the multiplex or whatever. Yeah. So we'll see. I'd love to get it. And it's funny because Eric was teasing me that I was wrong about Oppenheimer. <laughs> Yeah, on the last week's podcast, if you listen to these back-to-back, -back, yeah. Josh looks somewhat silly, but, but not I really. did I say it was going to flop? I just said I had a feeling. Yeah, yeah. You didn't specifically say flop, but you're like, you know, it'll do okay. It'll make a bit of money or something like that. But you're like, yeah. I don't think it'll be a blockbuster, which it accidentally is. And it is, yeah. And, <laughs> and really, I bear Chris Nolan no ill will. But just 
kind of like historically, like when the thing opened up against E.T., they both didn't do great. One did great and the other one got forgotten because everyone went to see E.T. And I just had a feeling that was going to happen. But then this Barbenheimer thing happened. And I don't know if you could trace back who started this, but it'd be hilarious. Whoever coined that term and said, hey, let's go to the double bill. Mm -hmm. And there's no way to track this. But I'm confident that in that Barbenheimer double bill, Oppenheimer came out ahead just in that I have a feeling more Barbie people jokingly went to see Oppenheimer versus more Oppenheimer people jokingly going to see Barbie. Supposedly, there was actually a stat that Whoa. said, I can't remember, it was 6% or 9%. It's the right number. I just don't know if it's upside down or not. Yeah. But they basically said that that percent of people went to Oppenheimer because Barbie was sold out. Right. Okay. Yeah. And so, you know, that's not a huge percent, but I mean, it's definitely money. But on top of that 9%, I know a bunch of people who did the double bill because I was chatting with some folks who rented the cinema and it was a husband, wife, girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever. They did the double bill, but they said, I didn't know this and I didn't look into this, but evidently Barbie is two and a half hours long. Yeah. That, cause I was about to say that double bill has got to be six hours with trailers. Yeah. So you got a two and a half hour Barbie and a three hour Oppenheimer. And they said they watched the Barbie. I think they said nine forty five show unknowingly. Huh. So they got out of that past midnight. So it was a full day, but they said they did the Oppenheimer. And they said a few other people there they noticed as well did that. I can't think of that ever happening before of two distinctly different movies, someone joking about it and it becoming a thing. And I've seen fan-made posters online, really professional-looking fan-made posters. Mm -hmm. But it's good for the industry. And But it's so funny how negative journalists are where in the same breath they go, the death of the industry because Indian Mission Impossible didn't do great. And... Oppenheimer and Barbie did great. Everything's fine. Yeah. And I'm like, well, you can't have both. Also, the go woke, go broke people who are like, and Barbie is now the number one movie? Uh, yeah. I don't believe they went broke with that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And also, as a side note, do the Oppenheimer sounds like a dance from the 60s <laughs> or something. It's like a, this explosive new dance move. Yeah, and I, and I do love the people who don't quite get it. And I didn't look into this because I just know they're idiots, but the incel type folks who bought a ticket to go see Barbie, bragged about it, and then wrote about how much they hated it. And I'm like, well, they still got your money. You realize that, right? Yeah, and, <laughs> and the thing is, with some of those people specifically, their audiences want them hating things. Yeah, So yeah, yeah. I don't really believe they hate all the things they hate. I think it's, a, it's partly a bit, but partly, you know, largely it probably is accurate. But I think you are going in with a chip on your shoulder to not like it. Like, oh, you, yeah. you must have this moment during some of those movies. Well, those people, not us, we're normal-ish. Yeah. <laughs> um, where you're like, oh shit, I'm enjoying this. Oh no, like, oh, no. Uh, <laughs> how do I word hating this, you know, without letting on that I actually enjoyed myself? And that's just about the saddest existence I've ever heard of. Oh yeah, and... Barbie must be a great date movie. Yeah. So if you're worried about not having a date, maybe not be a jerk and yell about a movie that you're mad because a woman directed it. Yeah. I, oh, it's just, I don't know. We're preaching to the choir. I don't think we have a big incel community listening to the pod. But it's funny, like the journalist thing, I got asked the other day to do an interview about what they called the Hollywood strike for writers and actors. And I said, sure. And then they said, okay, can you comment on what you would say just so we know what we can lead into? And we're going with this side of the story. And they were going with the side of the story that 
cinemas are panicked because they have nothing to show <laughs> in a few months. And I said, well, we're not panicked because of that. And not to sound like we don't support the people doing the strike, but we don't show a lot of mainstream movies. So the multiplexes are panicked because sooner or later, whatever, Mission Impossible and Fast and Furious and the next Aquaman. Next and the next ca cage movie, the next obviously. Cage movie, yeah. Anything like that will get delayed. Mm -hmm. But you look at what we screen, it's a bunch of Canadian stuff, foreign films, mm -hmm. classics, international films. The documentaries. Yeah. So, I mean, off the top of my head, in the past few years, we've screened Kong and Venom. Yeah, Star Wars. Yeah, Star Wars stuff. But we're not going to run out of stuff because we've always got Agfa and Shout Factory and classic films. And they're releasing classic films like crazy. Mm -hmm. So it's a weird position to be in because you don't want to sound like you're making light of the strike. But just for us, I don't think it's a big deal. For the multiplex, I'm sure that's a different conversation. So I said that to them. And they came back with, oh, do you want to talk about how it might be a great time for independent movies to shine? And I was like, well, it might be a great time for independent movies to shine at the multiplex. But you could see where maybe I don't want to say that. Yeah. And then they came back with two other things. And I kind of kept trying not to be frustrated, but just say the same <laughs> thing of like, I'll happily talk about the Mayfair or positive things at the Mayfair or that people could come see movies at the Mayfair. But... I don't want to plug the multiplexes. And then they came back finally with, okay, yeah, we understand. The story isn't working the way we want, and we'll <laughs> try again later. And Lee gets really frustrated because he gets hit with this more than I do. But they want to talk about, oh, you're going to close because of COVID. Yeah, they want doom to talk, and gloom stuff. Yeah, they want to talk, oh, weird landlord stuff. You're going to get closed because of that. They never want to talk about the positive. They never want to talk about, oh, you're hosting Saturday morning cartoons and it's sold out. Oh, you're hosting... Silent Film Live Band, local filmmakers. They never want to talk about any of that. And that's the big frustration. It's the old, if it bleeds, it leads. And it's like that. They want the negativity. <laughs> so it was just so funny that they did not want to talk to me about anything positive or about what I actually would comment on. Yeah, it's a, like, you sound like a terrible interviewee. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. I mean, you're not. I know that. But it's like for someone trying to sort of have a spear out of a story, you know, like it yeah. seems like you're really not good at that. <laughs> well, the best was had many lovely interviews during COVID, a lot of support. But there was a couple and there was one guy I'll never forget. But I do forget what radio station it was because <laughs> because it was so many radio stations right. we were talking to. He wanted me to say something negative about the government about people staying home about COVID stuff. You hate Trudeau, right? It's exactly. Like, not really. <laughs> and I am not political, but I had to say, we just got a bunch of arts grants and a bunch of government grants. Our employees are on CERB. We're getting support from film studios who are letting us do these streaming service things. Mm -hmm. Our patrons are great. So it's hard to be negative despite being in this horribly negative time. And he sighed and he said, well, uh, positive outlook. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> he said that. And I'm like, well, I don't know. I'm not going to lie. But he wanted me to be like, oh, yeah, I'm so angry about all this. <laughs> I like that you're like, I'll never forget that guy. His name escapes me, and I'm not <laughs> yeah. sure who he worked for. But boy, will I not forget him. I'll never forget the situation, I yeah. guess I should say. I mean, it's kind of better. In, well, in, in some ways, it's better to not remember. But on in the other hand, it's like, it's probably good to know going forward. Because you're like, yeah, maybe not talk to that guy as much. Or, you know, at least know that they're going to frame things a certain way yeah and i had some people who were great who were just talking about like what do we do you know like we're not going to show movies underground Ooh, that yeah that's we what should we be doing then that's a movie us 
uh, sneaking in and showing movies. Well, you've got that creepy thing underneath the room up there, you know, like that weird cave. Oh yeah, the, 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 the weird storage space underneath the projection booth. Yeah, we could. You can't stand up in there, but you could show movies. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to show them on the screen? No, no, no. Oh man. Yeah, no, it's better. It has to literally be underground. Yeah. <laughs> no. It is funny, though, that the directors are not really involved. Like, they're not striking, but they're sort of encouraging, but not. they're kind of hands-off about it. Like, I was wondering if they would strike or if they yeah. just don't need to or what the deal is. And the irony about all this is I'm behind on the news because my news source is The Daily Show and Stephen Colbert. Yeah, last week tonight for me, I was like, I don't even know when they're coming back. Exactly. And they're all on strike. Mm -hmm. And I don't watch the real news because I don't like it so yes i'm kind of behind on the news but i do know just from listening to some podcasts san diego comic-con just happened and mm -hmm. nobody was there my best friend's there oh cool i mean sorry no i mean i know he's not you know <laughs> well and i shouldn't say nobody was there because <laughs> i heard so much positivity from the comic creators mm -hmm. saying it was great we had extra sales at our booth. All uh, of our panels were well attended. There was no distraction of the big lines of people just going to Hall H to see the Marvel movie panels, which nothing wrong with that, but just it's a lot of extra people. Yeah, addition by subtraction, it sounds like. For years, I've been pitching this idea that I think other people have too. Of why not do two cons, one in, say, May and one in August, and one be the Comic Con and one be the Fan Expo? Mm-hmm. It would be better for hotels, it would be better for travel, it would be better for the restaurants. Just kind of split it up a bit. But anyhow, the comics supposedly did very well, and that was all good. But just with Fan Expo coming up, which I'm a guest at, they just released a thing saying actors can go to Fan Expo, they can do panels, they can't take any questions about, say, Star Trek, Star Wars, whatever. So if you've got Patrick Stewart up there, he can't talk about working on Picard hmm. or say, you know, Anson Mount, who's in the midst of doing a Star Trek show. He can't plug his show. And so the joke is now like, so can they just talk about restaurants they like to go to or? Could he talk about the 60s Star Trek series or you're just not allowed to talk about Star Trek at all? I think they can't at all because they don't want to say anything from a studio, uh, right? I see. But they still want people to go to movies <sighs> to prove that actors and writers are valuable to the studio. Mm -hmm. But they don't want you to publicize the movie. It's really a mess. And I've heard a number of writers on podcasts saying it's so weird and complicated because right now I'm on a podcast, but that podcast is an independent production. So that's okay. I can be a guest on it. Yeah. But I can't talk about anything that is career related. Or they said you can autograph stuff for fans... But you can't answer a question at a Q&A like, say for Star Trek, just because that's on my mind because I just watched a really awesome episode of Star Trek Strange New Worlds that was in crossover with their animated series. So a fan could not be answered a question about that. It's really complicated. Yeah, I'm my like brain is like, <laughs> yeah. I'm picturing, you know, beautiful mind type of thing. You know, in my <laughs> head, I'm like, how does any of this make sense? Like, Patrick Stewart could autograph something for you, yes. but he can't say make it so to you, maybe. I don't, or yeah. maybe he can't. Or, I don't know how that works. A podcaster I really like named Matt Myra, he pitched the idea. He wanted, because he's actually hosted some Star Trek stuff before. He was like, let me in there. Let me host these panels. We'll have a nice cooking segment. We'll have a favorite book segment. We'll have a travel segment. And that is equally kind of fun. If you mm. got four Star Trek actors up there and they're talking about favorite places they've been, they just can't publicize Star Trek. 
It's really weird. Yeah, they just announced Gates McFadden is coming to Ottawa. Oh, yeah. So, But I guess not to talk about Star Trek. Well, I was really curious. That's a month away, two months away. Maybe they'll get figured out by then. But, yeah, it's a very weird time. Where And they've said, we don't want you to strike the movie theaters or the indie cinemas. We just want you to strike the... We want to put a halt to new stuff coming out and scare them. And then the big rich people are like, oh, poor us. And it's like, you make $150 million a year. How about you share some of that? Yeah, no, it's very weird. And my understanding is that this is not affecting, like, Canadian writers and actors. No, and that's the other thing, too. We show so many Canadian films. Mm -hmm. This week, we're showing one new mainstream movie. But I think that would theoretically be the only one that we couldn't play if it was a year from now or whatever. Hmm. So it really doesn't, yeah, it doesn't affect us. No. Like, and like I was saying to you, you know, it might actually be kind of a boon to independent films that are already wrapped at, that may not have gotten distribution, may not have gotten picked up by Netflix, something like that. Yeah. So if they are starved for content, even Cineplex, I mean, in theory, that's going to make some dreams come true for some of those filmmakers in an awkward sort of, you know, <laughs> yeah. way that you know deep down it wouldn't have happened if it weren't for this terrible but great thing that's happening. Yeah, and I said that to the radio station who did not interview me because they were confused and they sent me a link and said, oh, well, this cinema owner seems concerned. And I said, what? "I said, yeah, that's a multiplex guy. Yeah. And he says in the article that Fast and Furious, whatever, that's all they show. I looked at what they show. That's all they show. But for us, we show all kinds of stuff that is not mainstream. So I don't think it'll really hit us the same way. And plus, like, October is already, you know, we've got a template for oh, yeah. horror stuff. So, I mean, that particular month should be okay. It's leading up to and after that, that might be tricky. Yeah. Yeah. It's very interesting, but it just means that we won't screen certain mainstream stuff. But I don't know. I, I just don't think it's going to affect us that much because hopefully they'll get it all figured out soon. But it's been a while. I kind of blinked yeah. and I'm like, it's been ages since I've seen Stephen Colbert. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the war in Ukraine. You're like, geez, it's been okay, yeah. 17 years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but maybe yeah, we should just so, do cinema every week, I guess, is the yeah. answer. <laughs> so yeah, so we'll roll along and we'll be fine. And that gives us an excuse to right now let us chat about the movies we have coming up the week of Friday, July 28th. Absolutely. So we have three new films. One of the new films we have is called The Lesson. An aspiring and ambitious young writer eagerly accepts a tutoring position at the family estate of his idol. Oh, good start. Then realizes that he is ensnared in a web of family secrets, resentment, and retribution. Oh, boy. So I think it's one of those thrillers where don't meet your heroes, but I think this kid goes to this thing and then everything goes terribly wrong. Huh. Yeah, no, if anything, it's just like awkward situations. Like, it'd be funny if it was like nothing like bad or murder yeah. or anything like that. They're just like, God, this is awkward. <laughs> like, they're just constantly bickering. I wish I hadn't come. And it stars the great Richard E. Grant. Ooh. And a couple of reviews have said, don't be surprised if this doesn't get him another Oscar nomination in a few months. Oh, yeah, no, he's great. The other new film we have coming up is called The Miracle Club. It's one of those blue-collar, feel-good British movies that Whoa. just is gold for the Mayfair. Yeah, I like that. I'm, I'm already excited. Like, it's, it, they're trying to save a bowling alley or yeah. it's like <laughs> a box social to, you know, some sort of ballroom dance thing. What is it? It's so funny that just like Hallmark movies, these movies are all the same <laughs> and they are just successful over and over and over. Yeah, because they're charming. And especially if it's British, you know, the accents and the vibe really adds a lot to for us. You know, you're oh, just yeah. like, how quaint. 
And I really do find them good over yeah. and over again. This one is three close friends who have never left the outskirts of Dublin, much mm-hmm. less Ireland, go on the journey of a lifetime to visit Lourdes, a picturesque French town and the place of miracles. Okay. And it's I saw the trailer. It's because they are in a church singing group and they're going to a competition. Wait a minute. Where a bunch of church singing groups sing pop songs. Didn't this... I swear there was a very similar movie a year or two ago where it was like, yeah, a church singing group. Although that's the only thing I remember about it. So This one is Laura Linney, Kathy Bates, Maggie Smith. What? All of which are Oscar nominees and Oscar winners. Damn. The trailer, yeah, the trailer, you watch it and despite any, you know, kind of snarkiness or, oh, this again, you watch it and you're like, yeah, that looks good. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, that's hilarious. But you're right. Probably just like action films or horror films. You're probably like, Hasn't this been done before? And you're like, yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah, and, what, and what's funny is like, there's no way I'd remember the name of that other one, but we 100% showed one that involved a church singing group and a competition probably like two years ago. But, you yeah. know, and it's just like, yeah, this this perpetual podcast brain of mine where I'm like, oh God, is it the same? Or do I just put these <laughs> movies all together into a blender? Yeah, it's tough. It's tough on the podcast too, where I'll stop and I'll be like, did I talk about this on the podcast or in real life to somebody? And yeah. like, I don't know. I just had that because I, I was at a birthday party on the weekend and they were talking about Mount Everest and like how corpses are placeholders and you know where you are because there's that corpse and all that stuff. But then I saw a tweet about it yesterday and I was like, what the hell? And I had that memory, but I was like, where was I talking about? <laughs> like, was Emily listening to a podcast? Like, who? what was this? And so I messaged like, yeah, my friend and my wife and I was like, Okay, this is random, but do you remember talking about corpses on Mount Everest or what's the deal with this? Turns out it was at the birthday party. I was like, okay, I can Uh at least relax a little bit. But yeah, it just stuff seeps into your brain and you're like, where did I hear it? Did I read about this? Was it something (laughs) like, geez. So switching gears from the highbrow, the lesson and the fun British travel of the Miracle Club. We have Evil Dead Rise. Wow. You see, which is kind of a similar comfort food for those of us who are weirdos. Well, and I always love it when this happens, when we go from the Miracle Club to the next sentence being Evil Dead Rise, because I like that we show everything. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, talk about acclaimed. I found so many five-star reviews for this movie. So on our website, there's five-star reviews from Digital Spy, Stuff, Morbidly Beautiful, and Nerdist. And it was a South by Southwest Audience Award nominee. And everybody's like, it's really good. And an example of sequels aren't always bad. These are weird. Sequel reboots, whatever yeah, this is. And really, none of the sequels are bad. In no, Evil no. Dead. Like, honestly, there isn't a bad movie. Like, I don't know. I mean, like, Army of Darkness could be considered the worst one, but it's still great. So it's, it's my favorite one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that's it. You know, and it's and it obviously was trying to do something completely different from all the other ones. So it's not even like none of them really uh, kind of tread over the same ground. Yeah. And they're really weird because the first one is a no budget movie made by a bunch of people who didn't know what they were doing mm-hmm. and stumbled into a masterpiece. The second one is a little bit more kind of campy, violent fun, but still scary. Mm-hmm. And then Army of Darkness is a full-on camp, stop-motion animation, goofy lead hero. Yeah. And then the fourth one is still kind of canonical, but you can't even use the word canonical with Evil Dead movies because they're all over the place. Yeah. And then now the fifth one is, again, a brand new story, but still kind of that more full-on horror versus army of darkness yeah. but then in between there you got the tv show which was full-on army of darkness but with the gore mm-hmm. i love them all and i understand it's kind of what you hit first like for me i was a teenager for army of darkness and watched it over and over again so i kind of got into that before 
part one. But there's going to be somebody who is 15 years old and watches Evil Dead Rise for the first time and then goes back and watches the other ones. Yeah, and, and they are, they're canonical in the sense that it at least is thought out. Like, because in Army of Darkness, there's multiple Necronomicons. Yeah. And so in, I believe in the new one, the book in that one is one of those three. So they do kind of make sense to that degree. So they are planning this out. It's not just like some of these franchises where they're just throwing random stuff at the wall. And in the previous one, they had the cabin. Mm-hmm. And so it was connected in that sense and, and ash's car i think yep, yep. so and it, it like it is implied i think there was a deleted scene that had him in it or his voice in it or whatever you know so it's yeah you know they didn't come right out and say it, but it was kind of obvious they were making this one big universe yeah and what i like about this one is i've avoided stuff as i can because i want to watch it i knew we were going to get it so i held off to watch it here mm-hmm. but supposedly it's very much pays tribute to the past but is very much its own film you can just watch this and it's a very enjoyable five-star reviewed horror film. Yeah, and it's funny with like a fifth one where it's not the first one to do something different because I mean, obviously Army of Darkness, but yeah. to have something be set in a high-rise downtown and almost like a little bit like Scream 6 being in New yeah. York City and stuff like that, where you're like, oh, wow, what a major change, but it's still that deep in a franchise that you're sort of surprised that you're surprised. And seem to do it better than Jason Takes Manhattan. Right, well, yeah, that, that <laughs> like, too. And, it, you know, so it's really like, it's fascinating to see them pull this up. Like it, the plot is a bit reminiscent of Demons 2 and, okay. and that it's basically like a haunted building, but, you know, there's demons in the building and it's a high yeah, rise and yeah, yeah. people are trying to survive. So, I mean, that's the only way that they're similar movies, but still. And it is produced by Sam Raimi and Rob Tappert and Bruce Campbell. Mm-hmm. And unlike sometimes, sometimes in these legacy films, you see... Spielberg's name slapped on there as an executive producer. John Carpenter is a big one. Yeah. I don't think Steven Spielberg did a lot for the latest Transformers movie. No. He's got an executive producer credit. I could be wrong. I don't think he did a lot. But these guys, when they're involved and producing a movie, I saw this one funny photo where Bruce was supervising the post-production sound and he was actually like biting an apple for the bite of a deadite biting somebody. (laughs) And was very much involved in approving the script. And Rob Tappert, who's really of the trio, the person who's been their producer for all these years. And Sam Raimi involved in choosing the director and everything and watching the rough cuts. So these three guys didn't just go, okay, go make something. They were involved and this is their baby. And they really wanted to make sure it was something good, as they did with the last one too. Yeah, and it's really rewarding, I'm sure for them especially, to see something that you actually tried and you made well be a huge hit oh yeah because i mean it you know i don't want to say it never happens but it honestly seems like a lot of this time when they get the creators and everyone's involved and they make the best movie they can it just it makes like 20 million and that's it and in a world where what three times in recent weeks with flash indie and mission impossible you have three movies that made from a certain point of view a ton of money but not enough money because they're too expensive yeah and so you got something like Evil Dead Rise, which I believe cost $15 million. Yeah, so maybe like 20 15 but to 20 more. And made 150 mm-hmm. And that's not even including streaming service revenue and video on demand and a handful of nerds buying Blu-rays. Rep theaters even. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So very profitable. I, I have not heard yet, but I wouldn't be surprised if they're working on another Evil Dead right now. Yeah, and then plus, like, I mean, inevitably you're going to be getting the five-disc box set too. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, they haven't released Army of Darkness quite enough, so they need to put that they out need more. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty cool. It's a great time to be a horror fan, but I feel like I say that all the time. And from what I have heard, this is a very 
actually funny, actually scary, actually care for the central character. Very fun movie to watch with a crowd because you get those gasps and cheers and laughs. Yeah, and it's and it's very much like dark comedy, not Army of Darkness comedy, yeah. which is a very hard thing to juggle. Like, oh, I, yeah. I don't think I could do it. No, I, I listened to an episode of Horror Movie Survival Guide recently, and they dissected Army of Darkness. And both hosts were fans, but both were more fans of the Evil Dead side of the films. Mm-hmm. Whereas I, I commented on it and I said, Army of Darkness might be my Desert Island movie. I somehow never get tired of that movie. I've watched it here a few times in the last couple of years, and I've still got a big dumb smile on my face and I'm still clapping at the end, and I just love that movie. I understand people who don't like it as much because it's not a quote-unquote horror movie, but I love this stupid thing. Yeah, and I never even saw the original ending until like last week. Oh, or, yeah, yeah. It, which I knew of it, but I just I, I just never saw it. I guess I, I don't know how I would have. I, I think by the time I saw it, it was VHS or something like that. You know, I got so. it on the Boomstick Oh yeah, God DVD. I think I think it was yeah because yeah. I was working at HMV when that came out. So yeah. that, that was like early two thousands. I think they put yeah. that one out. Yeah, I got that for my birthday. I think. Yeah, it's like an eighty-eight minute cut and a whatever cut. There's like three or four cuts. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Sometimes it's hard to be a fan juggling and figuring out what it even is. That you know, what's my favorite cut of the movie? What is the one other people have seen? You don't even know half the time. Oh yeah, and but a movie like this one with Sam and Rob and Bruce producing, I know that the director did not have to fight with a studio. The director did not have to cut 10 minutes out of the movie. No, and it'll be interesting to see if there is any kind of extendo cut because they did for the last one, I think it was only like two minutes difference. Yeah, if, yeah, yeah. If that, so, and, and I don't think it made that big a difference because that one was gory as hell as well. So. I think it was all gore they cut so it didn't get an X essentially. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so How far we've come. And then finally this week for our regularly screened movies, we conclude our Creature Feature Fest with, Arguably, not even arguably, the king of the creature features for modern times, Jaws. Yeah. And what do you say about Jaws? It's Oscar-winning shark movie that made a ton of money, kind of kicked off the blockbuster era. It was a couple years yeah. before Star Wars. It's great. It's a character piece where there's a giant killer shark. Yeah, and one of the rare times where the movie improved on the book which yeah. is a bit funny because another one of those times was Jurassic Park. So it's almost like Spielberg kind of knows what he's doing. I have yet, despite being a big fan, all these years, I still haven't read Jaws. And I've heard from numerous people <laughs> that it is not a good book. No, no, no. It's just uh, there's a lot of silly extra stuff that might anger you as a fan of the movie. <laughs> yeah, and that a ton of the movie was improv by the actors. A ton of the movie was last minute changes because the shark didn't work. It's really one of the great behind-the-scenes stories because Mm -hmm. by all accounts, it should have ruined Spielberg's career. And if it had not made money, he would have gone back to directing Columbo's. Yeah. Really. Like, he might have had a fine career, but that could have been his shot. And just that he was so young that it went so over budget, so over time. The actors weren't happy. The studio wasn't happy. And then through a miracle, the movie did well. Yeah. But... Imagine a world where that movie didn't do well. Would we have Indiana Jones? Would we have Jurassic Park? Would Spielberg just be a really good TV director? 
Yeah. Watched a, a really good documentary called Sharksploitation. It just came out on Shudder. And I, did, I didn't think much going into it. I was like, this thought it'd be a silly puff piece or anything. But it was very good. And Peter Benchley's wife was interviewed. And like a lot of heavy hitters were on there. Yeah. And of course, they talk about Jaws, obviously. But it was just really... I don't know. Like, it's funny to see over the years just kind of the early stuff, like the Burt Reynolds shark movie and all the stuff that some of the James Bond stuff that has sharks, but it's not like a shark movie. Yeah. And just to see, it was very fascinating to see them kind of talk about how like sharks used to be this revered kind of mythical creature. And then it just eventually, once they were villainized, that's when, you know, and the Jaws became huge and people started being like, scared of sharks. And it just was it's so many people, like Peter Benchley was horrified. Like, oh, it, yeah, it was. Yeah. Huge, it made his career, but he kind of was responsible for millions of sharks, being, maybe not millions, but thousands of sharks being killed. Not directly, of course, but just, you know, and, and he was horrified. So it was really cool to see, like, he made it his life's work to kind of go against that after the fact and, and do a yeah. lot of charity work and a lot of documentaries and stuff about pro shark and whatever. And and it, it, it was neat to see, like, by the end of the documentary, his wife was like, he would have been so happy to see it's kind of come full circle now to go from when Jaws first came out and everybody was scared of sharks. And now people get that you can have these silly shark movies. We know that sharks aren't really like that. And for the most part, it's just, you know, they think you're a seal or something like that. Yeah. It was really a phenomenon. Like it's before our time, but it was, there's a plot point in the movie where the mayor wants people to go to the beach because it's summer <laughs> season. And this community makes money off of hotels and restaurants because of people going to the beach. And in real life, people stopped going to the beach. It really affected people. Mm -hmm. I'm sure in the way that, I joke about it like I'm not going into the woods because of Blair Witch. But <laughs> movies do that sometimes. And in Jaws, I know, sadly, the, some yahoos went out and would hunt sharks and do that kind of thing in the mid-70s. And, and yeah, Peter Benchley really came out the other side and was like, uh, please don't do that. Yeah, I mean, they were full on doing like shark hunting competitions and stuff. It, I mean, obviously in the States, like shocking, yeah. but, you know, and it really blew up like just because it's people want to villainize something. It feels yeah. like, you know, you want that boogeyman. But the movie is... What do you say? People have been saying this for 50 years, but it, it's so good. Mm -hmm. And it shouldn't be that good because if you look at the other movies we have screened, fun movies, but like, yeah. you know, Alligator, Piranha, Grizzly, Jaws really should have just been one of those. And instead, I think thanks to the screenwriting and thanks to the actors really giving it their all, just those three central characters, because it's a simple story. It's mm -hmm. a shark movie, but you love those characters. It's so watchable and so scary and... And you think, what would have happened if the shark worked? What would have happened if it didn't, you know, it would have been a different movie. Yeah, and it was interesting to see, like, speaking of Spielberg, Joe Dante basically admitted he wouldn't have a career without him stepping in and telling Universal that it's okay to have Piranha come out. Oh, yeah, Because yeah. Universal were literally like, it's a Jaws ripoff, and there's no way we're having it come out. And Spielberg had seen the movie and loved it. Yeah. And was like, it's a spoof, it's not a ripoff. Yeah. And so they let it go out, it blew up, and then, you know, Joe Dante was Joe Dante. And, yeah. And it was, it's kind of cool to see, because... He could have just been some guy, like a one and done and that's it. And you're just like, no, but you're Joe Dante because young Steven Spielberg had enough brains to be like, hey, like, let him live. Like, And what did he do with Spielberg? He did Gremlins, Gremlins 2. Yeah. Small Soldiers, Twilight Zone. Yeah, yeah. Jeez. And I think maybe something else. There. Maybe some TV stuff in yeah, there, too. There's, yeah, there was some, like maybe an Amazing Stories. Yeah, or something yeah, like yeah, that. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's 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 pretty cool like to see stuff like that because for every horror story about some full on in the, or you know high on themselves whatever type of guy, yeah, you'll have someone like that who's like no, like I recognize talent obviously. Oh yeah, and you know he saved and made careers. And they keep threatening to do another Jaws movie, <laughs> and I'm like, well, never say never because you know they made more Planet of the Apes and those were good, and 
they made more Halloweens, and we like those. <laughs> and so if they had a really good script, and yeah. I don't think they should do a remake, but no. if, if they had a really good script and some really good director wanted to do it, I wouldn't throw out the idea. Yeah, no, I, I think it could work. And, and it's funny how close they came to making the... the uh, national lampoon jaws 3 yeah like it was the script was done like they were and, and apparently that was because zanuck and one of the other producer i can't remember the name of they live next door to the national lampoon producer that's so funny. and we're like hey we want to work with you and it's funny to, to think now like that sounds a bit silly but i mean national lampoon was huge at the time as well oh and yeah so, like yeah. they were two giant you know titans at the time and and basically the studio couldn't decide if because the studio wanted a pg movie for butts and seats and lampoon was like we make our rated comedies like that's our thing yeah and so they just couldn't pick a lane to do, and it just didn't happen. So they made Jaws 3D, which, you know. <laughs> Can you imagine if it was good? Like, it could have been some kind of bizarre Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein kind of thing. Yeah, and, and it just, it, it is such a weird what if, because there are still a lot of people who don't know that was even talked about. Yeah. So, I mean, everybody knows the Back to the Future Jaws 37 bit. But, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. that was almost real in a way. Well, and you look how Spielberg kept producing transformers movies and jurassic park movies but he was not involved in any of the jaws sequels and that's such an interesting little difference that he was like nope i don't want to do that anymore yeah but i think the other thing was i think kevin smith got hired to write a screenplay in the 90s around that time when he wrote superman lives mm -hmm. i don't know if he worked at it or if he was just offered it or something but so it's out there but you know who knows i think they did so well a couple times with re-releases of it as well yeah that that got their attention of like oh and then because you know meg 2's coming out so yeah and supposedly i mean spielberg has kiboshed any jaws remake from what i've heard like yeah. he's just like no we're not remaking that so who knows what will ever, ever happen but i mean yeah they definitely could do something yeah i, I don't know i just love shark movies so yeah. i mean i'm just, <laughs> yeah i'm going to see meg 2 next week for my birthday screening because we did Meg for you know whatever year that was yeah, so. yeah yeah and this one looks so fun and Ben Wheatley and I'm I mean not to hype other theaters but, don't but, hype the multiplexes but just you know I'm hyping the movie not right. wherever it yes. happens to be screening so I'm mostly excited for the shot from inside the jaws of the shark like that stuff gets me yeah where I'm just like oh a unique shot in a shark <laughs> movie I am sold uh, and then finally we'll quickly mention that we have another Saturday night cinema coming up love it I don't know what it is, but I do know the last one. I will hint at least that it was thematic with our creature feature. Makes sense. Andrew misled me. I asked what he thought it would be, and he said what he thought it would be. Yeah. It was nothing close to what that was. <laughs> but then I watched that movie at home because I was still feeling a little sick, and I didn't want to come out and yeah, yeah. risk anything. And so I watched what I thought was cinema at the same time cinema Whoa. started. And I was like, oh, yeah. And then the next day, I found out that it wasn't that. And I was like, well, <laughs> I, you know, still had fun. Saturday Night Cinema is our free for members, members only, twice a month secret midnight movie, midnight-ish. I think this week it's yeah. 11.45. And it's back-to-back -back with Jaws, I believe. Yes, so, so that will be a cool double bill. So come yeah. see Jaws, and then come see a cool midnight movie. And regardless of what it is, like, I mean, it's Jaws, and you're still here. So, I mean, yeah. come on. You're going to have a, see at least one great movie and yeah. one really fun movie. I sold a couple of memberships on the weekend to a young couple and explained to them. I always kind of forget sometimes, but this time I remembered. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, you're getting cheaper, this and that. Oh, and we do Saturday Night Cinema and explained what it was. And they seemed thrilled at the concept. <laughs> I said, it's mainly kind of old driving classics. Every once in a while, it's something modern, but that's a rarity. And I said, but it's always kind of cool, fun stuff. And they seemed thrilled. And it was so... 
I hope they'll come check this one out. Yeah, and there was that guy on Facebook who was asking about cinema, and it was just kind of yeah. like, oh, is it, I don't know, kind of, is it worth it or whatever? And I'm like, well, you and I are both biased, but yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. yes, it's fantastic. <laughs> come see it all the time. Yeah. So that's it. That is the movie screening the week of Friday, July 28th here at the Mayfair. We're going to wrap things up. Thanks for listening. You can find us at mayfairtheater.ca and on social medias. With thanks to Ian, one of my partners, we got set up on Threads. Oh, so there's still only a few posts on it, but because it seems like Twitter's going to implode any second now. I don't know. That's why I got threads and then people are mocking. They're like, no one's using threads. And I was yeah, like, well, yeah, because it's the backup plan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, we're not jumping on there right now. We're doing that in <laughs> case stuff goes down. Twitter doesn't even exist. It's called X now. It really is, right? Like uh, Supposedly. That's so weird. Yeah. We don't even have time to discuss all of that. But So wait, what do you say instead of tweeting? Well, he says X. Like, he's like, you don't send tweets, you send X's. And I was like, I'm not calling it that. <laughs> I'm like, you and I are way too stubborn to change. I genuinely think it might be some kind of, like, the producers. Like, he's purposefully <laughs> doing all this dumb stuff. Yeah. Because he's going to get some kind of crazy smart guy tax break, and it'll be more profitable, and that's why he did it. Because yeah. this is nuts. The only X we care about has Mia Goth in it, so. That's right, Come yeah. on. So, yeah, so we're on X, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. And Facebook and Instagram and now Threads, which we're just starting up on just in case. But on any of those, you will find information on upcoming films. And we will be back next week to talk about more stuff we are screening throughout the summer. And possibly if we're on another, like X and Threads, both great horror movies. So if they get another horror theme oh, thing, yeah. we'll go on that too. We'll go on everything. <laughs> okay, thanks again for listening, everybody. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. I like to think that Lee is playing 4D chess with the next Cage movie, and he really wanted the one with Hellboy and Ernie Hudson in yeah. it. He's like, oh, we don't even want this one. Ha ha, get the next one. There is a creature alive today who has survived millions of years of evolution without change, without passion, and without logic. It lives to kill. eating machine. It will attack and devour anything. It is as if God created the devil and gave him jaws. Roy Scheider, Robert Shaw, Richard Dreyfuss. You're going to need a bigger boat. From the best-selling novel, Jaws. Rated PG. Maybe too intense for younger children.